get a message that I'm recording. Yep. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Grounded and Soaring, our little podcast. I am so excited for today. I have been a long, long time fan of Jessica Leahy. She is the author of The Gift of Failure, as well as many other articles and another book that just came out. Um, but about eight years ago, I read this book and shared it with Marie Montessori parents, and we were all blown away. So I am so grateful that, Jessica, you are here today to um, talk to us about parenting and thinking about failure. Um, so welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. It means a lot to me that you uh, asked me to be here. Absolutely. And I'm, before we dive in, um, I'm just going to give a, a brief overview of, of who Jessica is. So she's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. And most recently, The Addiction Inoculation, Ralph, Raising Healthy Kids and a Culture of Dependence. And I'm really, I haven't read this book yet, Jessica, but I'm really interested in because I know that the research has been out that kids growing up in really affluent communities like Marin County are at much greater risk um, for substance abuse. So really looking Well, great. and there's also some lovely dovetails with gift of failure about, you know, it just so happens that things like self-efficacy and the ability to um, self-advocate are also huge protections. Before you dive in to the to sort of four tips, I, I was rereading the book and I was really struck by this quote, which I think just summarizes why I love it so much. And it reminds me a lot of, honestly, Montessori education, but you wrote that, Every time we rescue, hover, or otherwise save our children from a challenge, we send a very clear message that we believe they are incompetent, incapable, and unworthy of our trust. Further, we teach them to be dependent on us and thereby deny them the very education and competence we are put here on this earth to hand down. Awesome. Yeah, I got to say, I, I I hardly ever say this because I definitely did not want to attach any one educational philosophy to this book. Mm -hmm. But every time around Montessori educators, they're like, come on, you can tell me the truth. This is really about Montessori education. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, one of the biggest talks I've ever given was at the inter big international Montessori conference in San Diego, like maybe four years ago okay. and I had no voice whatsoever. It was really horrible, but I did admit that, yes, if I were to, if I were to slap any educational philosophy on this book, I mean, for me, talking to Montessori educators is just preaching to the choir. You guys have it figured out. You know, I just really love the educational philosophy and the self-driven learning and it's a total delight to watch kids in their like little mini kitchens, being able to slice and dice things and figure out how to do stuff themselves. I just, I, I love it. Oh, thank you. I, I yeah, I, and I, my, as I mentioned, I, my background had been before college prep education, but I'm, I'm just so enamored by, by this. I think especially as kids turn into adolescence, you know, the whole point of adolescence, both from evolutionarily speaking and in terms of like the, the way the neurotransmitters and our brain work and the way the brain is wired, adolescents um, are individuating. They need to pull away from us. They need to become more competent. And so, you know, people like to say, oh, adolescents are wired for risk. And that's not tr really true. They're wired for novelty, which is exactly how it should be, because it's those novel um, it's those opportunities to try something new and different that build new connections in the brain and allow them to become more competent adults because, you know, say it any way you want. And all of the people out there who talk about this stuff say this in one iteration of it or another, which is, you know, we need to raise kids 
so that they don't need us anymore. Essentially, we need to parent ourselves out of a job. Well, let's dive in then. So, yeah. um, so four, four key tips on on parenting and, and relating to failure for our kids. Yeah. What would you like to start with? So the very first place I always start anytime I'm um, freaking out about something not being done right or not being done or my kid needing help with something is the very first place I start is, do I want this thing, whatever it is, loading the dishwasher, calling up the doctor and making an appointment? Do I want this thing done exactly perfectly or the way a slash the way I want it done right now? Or do I want my kid to be able to do it themselves next time? If I can have some patience with this, then that means that, okay, it may not get done exactly the way I want it done in this moment, but I'm not, my parenting, like I'm not going to be judging my parenting when I look back on those small emergencies, those little moments that we freak out and tend to um, really think, oh, this is urgent. This needs to be perfect right now. What we will be judging our, what I judge myself on over the long term is, you know, where is my kid, you know, are they able to do those things on their own? And so that leads to my second point, which is we have to think about this as a long haul job. As again, we're not judged on those small emergencies, forgetting the cleats, forgetting the homework, you know, and parents seem to forget often I like to say that, for example, like homework, homework is information for the teacher. You know, we can debate all day long the validity of homework and how important it is and whether or not it has any academic benefit. And there's research out there. But let's say there is and it needs to get done. Um, I would so far prefer a parent keep their hands off of it. Let the kid write a little note to me saying what they can and can't do and leave it incomplete. Here's what I could do. Here's what I couldn't do. Here's what I didn't understand. Here's what I did understand. If the kid's really little, help the kid write the note. But that incomplete homework with that note about what they can and can't do is far preferable to me as a teacher than a perfectly completed homework that clearly had some parental intervention there. So number one, we really, really have to remember that, you know, we not necessarily having things done perfectly this time, but that our kids can do them on their own the next time. That parenting is a long haul job. It's not judged by these small emergencies. And number three, the way we do that is by focusing a lot more on the process and a lot more less on the end product. Let's say your kid brings home you know, two assignments, one is an F and one is an A, those technically, maybe not emotionally, but from like an, in an abstract, in the abstract can be treated the same way, which is interesting. What did you do to get that grade? What are you going to repeat that worked? What are you going to leave behind that didn't work? All of these things help us focus more on the process and less on the end product, which has a couple of benefits. Number one, um, it helps them believe us when we say, Oh, uh, you know, I'm really sorry you failed that test. But what I care about is that you learn from this. When we say those li that line, you know, what I care about is that you learn from this. They don't necessarily believe us because we're not always being honest about that. That just sounds like a good thing to say. But if we're not modeling that and proving that to them by focusing more on the process and less on the product, they're not going to believe us. Number two, for highly anxious kids and especially kids who are so intent on being perfect, that they're afraid to try new things, a focus on the process and less on the end product can diffuse that anxiety. Mm. Um, it, it works for, if teachers are listening to this, it works if you have a parent in your office for 
a parent teacher conference. Um, but, you know, teachers often ask me, how do I get the parent to stop talking about the difference between the A minus and the B plus and start focusing more on the learning? And what we have to do is keep dragging our discussion back to the process, back to the process. Okay, yes, I understand that you're concerned about the grades, but can we talk about what your kid is learning and what they're not? Which leads me to the fourth point, which is we as educators need to be more mindful of this as well. It's an amazing moment where we're starting to say, okay, why are we doing this? And this comes back to around what I was talking about in the beginning. Why are we doing this assessment? Is it is Does it make our lives easy as educators or is this actually valuable for learning? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, those first three things I mentioned are sort of from the parental perspective, but then we as educators need to step up to the plate and realize that, just because we've always done it this way does not mean that it it's viable moving forward as a good learning tool. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a couple of follow-up questions? Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the first thing I heard you say was around like the example was unloading dishwasher and asking right. ourselves the question, do I need this done exactly the way I need it done? Or mm -hmm. is there room for some mistake, some failure yeah. to embrace that word so that there is learning for future competency? Right. Which the I difference the there being the competency piece. I'm so glad you said that word because, you know, we as parents tend to be really good at building confidence, but mm -hmm. that's easily burst. Competence totally. is skills. So if I have skills, you can't take those away from me. You can definitely take my confidence away from me because, you know, I may believe that I'm the best reader in the class, but then I get to school and I realize, oh, that's not true. My parents have just been telling me that. But if I am competent with a skill, you cannot take that from me. So that dishwasher yeah. loading, you know, rather than, you know, just telling them how to do it, you know, give them the reasoning and let them figure it out so they can build a skill rather than just, you know, some confidence. I think about that a lot because parents tell me of young children that one of the things they really want their children to have and their as they develop into adults is confidence. And mm -hmm. I grew up in the self-esteem movement, which yeah. is like praising me for breathing, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but instead, I think I totally agree that that the best gift we can give is the confidence that actually comes from real competence. Yeah. And, and actually what you, you mentioned with the self-esteem movement, yeah. building kids self, uh, the attempt to building, build kids self-esteem by just praising them for existing and telling them how wonderful and perfect mm -hmm. and genius they are. That actually, um, that actually is at cross purposes because it turns out that actually can lower kids' self-esteem, especially ones who are academically struggling, who their perception is, is that they don't understand what's going on, but then they come to you and say, you know, I don't get it. And you say, well, that's impossible. You're just so smart. You're so talented. You're so perfect. And so you're gaslighting kids. You're saying, um, I hear what you're saying about your perception of algebra class, but I would like you to replace your perception with mine, which is which, which is that you're so smart and brilliant that it shouldn't be a problem for you. And that, and so that, that's the first thing I really took, heard from you was, was that that's a great lens for us parents to, to think about before we rush in is it, does this actually, does this moment have to be done as I need it to be done? Or right. is this an opportunity to develop competency and and um, and really uh, build the skill up? The other thing I, I want to just highlight you said is that uh, when we emphasize process over product, that's also highly beneficial for our kids who tend toward anxiety and perfectionism. Yeah. But the question I have for you is I, I, I've come to, to see in my own self 
and also in all the parents I work with, that you know, we human beings are very complicated, and our um, our motivations are often at cross purposes, right? Mm-hmm. There can be a part of me that really wants to not to not focus on the grade or the mm-hmm. metric, and really wants to emphasize and and embrace the process. And then there's another part of me that jumps in and really cares about that and gets worried about it. Um, or there's a part of me that wants to let my kid fall down and fail. Um, and there's another part that wants to rescue. So do you have any like kind of tip or mantra or kind of question that helps? That first question was really helpful. You asked about the, the dishwasher, but maybe can help us pause in that moment to come back to what we really value. First of all, I'm not saying that of course we care about these things, right? Um, you know, college scores, you know, college acceptance, all that kind of stuff, you know, what a company picking you, blah, blah, blah. You know, my son, my oldest kid is applying to PhD programs and grades really matter there. Um, however, it can't be all we care about. Mm-hmm. And a set, especially because 90% of the messaging our kids are getting is about that end result thing. So we as parents, need to provide some all some ballast over on the other side of this equation we really are there for the learning and that that's what's important to us and we need to model that for our kids because we can say it all we want but unless they're seeing us put ourselves out there try new things not be a totally afraid of, 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 uh, failing, not giving up when we do figuring out what worked, didn't work and what did work and bringing that forward with us so that they can at least have that, as I said, ballast on the other side, because mm. we're really tipping in the direction of relying almost exclusively on the extrinsic motivators. And, you know, I hear from my students all over, uh, over and over again, that that's really undermining their interest in learning. And also mental health. I mean, I, I think a lot about the other research that came out a couple yeah. of years ago that kids in affluent communities are at, you know, much greater risk for anxiety and depression. And I, yeah. I see it as having raised kids in communities like that and, and now educating in, in a community like that, that there's such a narrow definition of what makes kids affirmable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very narrow. And, and so we're constantly feeling like we're not meeting that mark. And right that leads to that eroding. And then you add on social media, of course, and the the constant comparison, the 24-7 comparison. It's a really brutal recipe. So I, I really appreciate that that this is also about them being lifelong learners, which is so essential in the in the 21st century that really is going to require active learners, not passive learners. And I also do think it it, it it inoculates them against a very fragile sense of self. Yeah, and you brought up something really interesting, which is that um, we're so worried about other people's opinions of our kids, whether it's, you know, I, I couldn't possibly leave my kid to do their own laundry because then they'll go out into the world with dirty clothes. Or I couldn't possibly let my nursery school kid go off to nursery school in her pajamas because people will judge me or I couldn't possibly not rescue my kid in this situation because then he won't be able to play in soccer practice which means he'll be out of the tournament this weekend so last just yesterday I was at a speaking event talking about substance use disorder and kids from my from the new book 
And I said, you know, the, the thing we know is the parents that have a consistent and clear message of no, no drugs or alcohol, which I hate that term because alcohol is a drug, but no drugs or alcohol until your brain is done developing until it's legal for you, you know, that kind of stuff. And we were talking about the pressure, like, you know, are there are those parents out there that want to be the fun parents where everyone could come and drink there and stuff like that. And I made it very clear that I can't worry about how other people are perceiving me if I know best practices are and especially since I'm in recovery which means I have two kids that have a genetic predisposition for substance use disorder um I can't worry about the fact that other kids are not going to think I'm the fun parent or the, that those other parents who want to have my kid over and they're going to have a keg in the basement and take everyone's keys away because they're like oh everyone's going to drink everywhere we might as well do it safely in our house what they are communicating to my kid is a permissive stance on drinking, which therefore increases my kid's risk of substance use disorder over his lifetime, because the earlier a kid drinks, the higher their lifelong risk of substance use disorder. Um, so, you know, if you're that worried about what other people think of you, I think it's important for you to step back for a second and say, oh, wait, maybe that's less important than my own kid. And one of the other ways I did this, um, I sort of highlighted this for my kids was when my oldest was looking at colleges, I told him the one thing I was trying to come up with some symbolic way to show him that this is a really important decision of his to make, why he's choosing what college, all that sort of stuff where he feels he can learn best. And I said, the one thing I will never do is put a sticker for your college on the back of my car because I don't get to appropriate your choice of where you go to school as some sort of affirmation of my parenting skills. Mm -hmm. So this is your decision for your reasons and we'll discuss those reasons, but I don't get to brag about this in a parking lot. This isn't, mm -hmm. this isn't about me. This is about you and learning. Mm -hmm. um, so I think when we can do those sorts of things for our kids, separate our feelings about how we're going to be perceived, you know, as parents, because we're oh. each, each other's worst enemy. Oh, yeah. You know, even though there's a whole entire book called um, Pressured Parents, Anxious Kids, that the whole premise of this book is really when it comes down to it, we as parents tend to whip each other up into a frenzy on the soccer sidelines or at the cello concert or whatever. Um, I even wrote an article for The Atlantic called Why Back to School Night Made Me Feel Like a Bad Parent because I went there feeling pretty darn good about my parenting. I had a kid at home playing Minecraft, a kid at home practicing guitar. And by the time I was at the school for 10 minutes, I was confronted with, oh, they've been at the traveling soccer after all, uh, all afternoon. They've been in math tutoring all afternoon. What the heck am I doing with my kid's time? I'm clearly oh, falling down. And I had to walk out of the room and take a couple deep breaths. And I wrote an entire book about this. <laughs> no, I think I think that's the other the humanness of we are we have comparing minds and whoever yeah. whatever our subculture we're parenting in the norm we're going to always be comparing ourselves to the norm and we're going to feel like we're doing something wrong or depriving yeah. ourselves if we're not the norm. If we can pause and take that long view and say essentially we're going to be launching these kids as adults into the world we will not always be there with them and for them. And so one of the most important qualities they're going to internalize that we really want them to internalize and then choose our responses and reactions based on what will most likely inculcate them with those values. 
you know, the way we know that the brain develops from the bottom up and a lot of the adulting stuff, the executive function stuff, that's some of the last stuff to hook up. And it doesn't happen any in, in like a beautiful linear, linear trajectory. It happens. And then some skills go away and then come back and others give way because it's too much to juggle all at once. And so it gets really, we as parents and educators are really good at looking at the lack mentality. My child lacks this skill. My child lacks that ability as opposed to looking at it from a competence or a, you know, a strengths. That's why I love strengths-based parenting and strengths-based education. Um, every once in a while, we just need to give ourselves a break and sort of take a look at how far they've come mm -hmm. and come back at it from like a strengths-based perspective. If we could start setting goals as opposed to um, worrying so much about grades, then that process of a product, I think will help all of us um, sort of, I don't know, rewire ourselves for being continuous, constant learners, which is what we are as human beings. And what the world needs. Yeah. Jessica Leahy, thank you so much for your you generosity. So of time and wisdom. I really want that metaphorical autograph. <laughs> I will send you a book plate. I will send you a book plate and I will send you a copy of um, the addiction inoculation. So make sure you send along your address. I will. Thank you so much, Jessica. So welcome.